If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the minor prophet, Zechariah, and let's go to chapter 14. Several weeks back, the Lord had been tugging at my heart concerning the situation that we have uh, in our world today, concerning the terrorism, and in our hatred that we see all over the world and in our United States of America uh, towards Israel. And so God has been just ministering to my heart, uh, looking at the scriptures. Uh, the book of Zechariah is a beautiful, a beautiful uh, prophetic book concerning the end times. And when you come to Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's the conclusion. And you have to understand something. There will be a bodily return of Christ. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, and Zechariah is going to deal with that. But prior to that, there's a seven years of tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble. It's a time, I believe, that God's going to woo back the nation of Israel. And prior to the seven years of tribulation beginning, there has to be a rapture of the church. There has to be the great harpazo, the great snatching away. There are those that don't believe that. And yet the scriptures teach it. Now, we know that the Antichrist cannot come into his office until 2 Thessalonians, uh, the book, is fulfilled. The Antichrist cannot come into his office until that which hinders is removed. That which is hindering is the Holy Spirit that tabernacles in the church. Paul said, know you not now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so once the harpazo takes place, uh, the great snatching away, the rapture of the church that's been coined, then the Antichrist will come in, he'll make a league with Israel, and the seven years of tribulation will begin. But it's the last three and a half years, it's called the Great Tribulation. And so we come to the conclusion in this chapter. Now, we have already looked at Zechariah chapter 12. It's the coming deliverance of Judah. And so the promise that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. We come into last week, Zechariah chapter 13. God has to remove the idolatry from Israel. I believe God has to remove the idolatry in the United States of America. And so you have to understand, idolatry is not having statues. Idolatry is not having idols. But idolatry, an idol, is anything that takes the place of God. And so when you look at the nation of Israel, she's very rich. And she's put a lot of emphasis on all of her accomplishments. She's, you know, 67 years old. And look what she's been able to do. I mean, it's incredible. And so an idol is anything that takes the place of God. When we come to the conclusion of Zechariah uh, chapter 14, God is going to be wooing them back unto himself. They will see him as Messiah. They will see the nail prints in his hand. He will stand in the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split in two. Now, when you look at prophecy, there are those that say, you really believe that? You believe that there's going to be a, a rapture of the church? You believe there's a seven years of tribulation? That's what the scriptures teach. And this is where your faith comes in. This is where your spirituality comes in. I can honestly tell you, 36 plus years ago, I did not believe that. I did not know that until I started to study the Word of God. God has left us 
his workbook. He has left us the Word of God. We have 66 books. We have a 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, and we're supposed to study the Word of God. He gives us instructions. He tells us how to live. He tells us how to act. It doesn't, it doesn't come from your pastor. It doesn't come from your wife or the husband. It, it comes from the Word of God. My place is to deliver it. And so we want to conclude the chapter this morning. And so we've been looking at this little mini-series, taking some time from the book of Acts. And we're looking at Zechariah chapter 14, Jerusalem, the apple of God's eye this morning, part three. Now, let me go back to some verses, and then some of you haven't been here, want to kind of reenact everything. In Zechariah 2.8, the Holy Spirit has Zechariah, the prophet of God, to write. Listen to what he says. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me uh, to the nations who plundered you. Speaking about the nation of Israel. For he who touches you, speaking about the nation of Israel, touches the apple of his eye. We shared this in our previous two studies. We are not to mess with Israel. And we are not to mess with the Jews. And we are not to mess with Jerusalem. And we see our own country wanting to divide Jerusalem. Wanting to make a new state within Jerusalem or within Israel. We are not to touch what belongs to God. And God has given it to his people. Now, we, the Gentiles, that come to saving grace, according to Romans chapter 11, we become the grafted-in branch. And so we are part of the spiritual tree of Israel. Now, something you need to know and to understand, if you were here in last week's study, in chapter 13, two-thirds are destroyed. And we see the capabilities today concerning nuclear warfare. And the craziness of some of these nations. We're concerned about Iran, rightfully so. But what about these other countries? What about others that have uh, nuclear capabilities? What happens if people start pushing buttons here and here and here and here? We're going to annihilate each other. According to Zechariah 13, two-thirds. Is that the Jews? Or is it all the, the world? And so we see a third that remains. Those are incredible numbers. Annihilation is coming. We're doing it to ourselves. God allows this to take place. Why? Because he's a holy God. And judgment must come. And sometimes judgment must come first. Listen, to the house of God. Zechariah is a powerful prophet. One more scripture in Psalm 17, verses 7 and 8. David now, King David pins his assurance of salvation. And yet David was a sinful man. And so he writes in Psalm 17, verse 7, Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. David knew the salvation of the Lord. In verse 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wing. David knew his God. God knew David. And yet the Bible says that David was a sinner. The Bible says David committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. 
And David, to cover the sin of the child in Bathsheba, had Uriah, her husband, killed at the hottest part of the battle. And yet the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. But it's called the grace of God, church. When you read Psalm 51, David pinned Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. David was a man after God's own heart because he confessed his sin. And God forgave him. God saw his heart. It's the same with us. Maybe we don't commit adultery or maybe we don't commit murder. But didn't Jesus say we commit adultery in our hearts? Lusting after a man or after a woman? We're all sinners saved by grace. And this morning, I don't care what sin you've ever committed, come to the cross. God will forgive you. His blood is what cleanses us and washes us afresh and anew. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. He calls Israel the apple of his eye. Jerusalem is the apple of his eye. The Jews are the apple of his eye. Well, I don't like Israel. I don't like the Jews. That's not my problem. God says, love them. I really had no compassion for Israel or for the Jews or for Jerusalem. I never had any intention to go to the Middle East. But 36 plus years ago, Mary and I come to Saving Grace on the same day. And they began to teach us at our church. And I fell in love with Israel. Those of you that know me, I've been to Israel several times. I want to go as many times as I can. Aren't you afraid? No. How can I be afraid of God's people, God's nation? To go into Jerusalem is awesome. And to see the bullet holes that are there from the 67 wars and such. Look what God has accomplished in Israel today. And so a little bit of background on Zechariah. Zechariah has the clearest insight concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. More than any other minor prophet combined, he prophesies both of the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. And that second advent of Christ, that Jesus will return bodily, not at the rapture of the church, but at the end of the seven years of tribulation. The seven years of tribulation are called Jacob's trouble, according to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. God is going to use the seven years of tribulation to woo back the nation of Israel unto himself. They will see, they will recognize that he is the Messiah. The period that Zechariah has been writing to them, to the Jews, that is, is a tense time of dealings of the Lord with the people of Israel. They were discouraged, listen, and they were demoralized at this time. The task of rebuilding the temple for the Lord seemed more than what they could do on their own energies. You study the book of Haggai right before Zechariah. Haggai was given the task, rebuild the temple. And so Israel has been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. The Persian king lets Israel return. Zerubbabel is placed in charge. He's the head of, uh, of the tribe of Judah. He takes 500 Jews, and they go back and to begin to rebuild. The task was overwhelming. I want you to think, we shared last week. Imagine leaving Las Cruces, everybody, 
and now returning for 70 years, what would we see? Tumbleweeds, obviously, but what else? Destruction. And so the task of rebuilding. Now, Haggai had the task of rebuilding. But Zechariah had another task to instill spirituality on the nation of Israel. That's what the prophecies are all about. It's important to know. It's important to understand. The struggles that Israel was going through at this time, rebuilding the temple. How do we do it? Getting back into our spirituality. How do we do it? It reminds me of our United States of America right now. I mean, all we have to do is look around us. The murder and the killing of, of law enforcement. Terrorism in our own country, and it's going to increase. Terrorism in our own community, our small community, never had any problems all of a sudden. We're concerned about bombs. We have to have dogs that come and sniff. Crazy. Oh, this happens in big, big metropolitan areas, not, uh, you know, 100,000 people. Nobody cares about Las Cruces, but all of a sudden we have an awareness. And then right now we're getting geared for elections of next year. And everybody's going to look for a man or a woman to change our country. Only God can change our country. We need to get on our knees and we need to beg for, for mercy. We need to beg for forgiveness. We have to tell God we have broken your laws. Same-sex marriage is not of the God. Homosexuality and lesbianism is not of God, and neither is any other sin. No liar, no drunkard will enter the kingdom of God. One of the things that crosses our path constantly, people want to get married, but they're already living together. What happened to the Word of God? Then we call ourselves Christian. It's time to get back to our roots. And so we've been looking at Zechariah's last three chapters on prophecy. So important, church. So important. And so we come to chapter 14. And again, we're looking at Jerusalem, the apple of God's eye. We're looking at part three. But I like the caption of my Bible. If you have a study Bible, this is the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. This is the end of the seven years of tribulation the end of Jacob's trouble, the end of the 70th week of Daniel. Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives. We're going to read that in our text this morning. And the Mount of Olives will split in two. Last week we read that they'll see the nail prints in his hands. They will know that he is the Messiah. Look at our country that was founded upon the Word of God. We're going backwards. We're going backwards. We've aborted so many young babies. We have to answer for that. Zechariah brings it. Now, if you're taking notes, when you look at Zechariah 14, uh, cross-references are to Ezekiel 38 and 39, Isaiah chapter 13 and Isaiah chapter 14, Joel chapter 2, uh, Matthew chapter 24 that many of us are accustomed to, Revelation chapter 20, but I want you to turn to this passage with me. Go to the book of Amos, and let's go to Amos chapter 5. Interesting, Amos gives us such clear insight. Amos chapter 5, 
minor prophet also, verses 18 through 20. Amos speaks about the day of the Lord. In other words, the end of the tribulation. Now, the concentration will be upon the nation of Israel. But in the midst of the nation of Israel, there will also be Gentiles. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to saving grace. And those that survive, two-thirds are dead now. Two-thirds are annihilated. One-third remains. And God gives them the opportunity uh, to come to saving grace. And even then, we're going to see the conclusion. The, 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 year, the seven years of tribulation is over, and Jesus will set up the 1,000-year reign of Christ. It's called the millennial reign. And even then, there will be those that are non-believers. Satan is going to be let loose one more time, and he's going to tempt the nations, and they're going to be those that are going to follow him. I don't understand that. When Jesus has been reigning bodily, for a thousand years. But listen to what Amos has to say. Amos chapter 5. Uh, look at verse 18 with me. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is that day of the Lord to you? Question mark. It will be darkness. Not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion. And a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, he leans his hand on the wall, and a serpent bites him. I, I believe it's speaking about the reference to making it to the end of the tribulation. And thinking you're, you have skated, and you still don't receive Christ. You've escaped the bear, you've escaped the lion, and a serpent bites you, and you're waiting. Oh, yes, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Have you come to saving grace? In verse 20, is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, listen to what Amos writes now. I hate and I despise your feast day. This is a prophetic word. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. God hates religion. Let me repeat that. God hates religion. You see, religion is man-made. Religion is rules and regulations. Religion tells you how you can get to heaven. Listen, just be a good person. Mind your P's and Q's. Obey the Ten Commandments. And there's not one of us here that can keep the Ten Commandments. That's why the grace of God has come. And yet these, there's going to be those that are waiting. God hates religion. Look at verse 20, 22, the conclusion. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Radical. Religion will never save you, but a relationship, the born-again experience. God sent his son to become the mercy seat. He becomes the propitiation for my sins. He becomes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Jesus died to set us free. His blood washes me and cleanses me. And so Zechariah chapter 14, but go back up to verse 9. 
as we finished last week, I will bring the one-third, Zechariah said. These are the prophecies of God. I will bring the one-third uh, through the fire. That one-third that remains is going to go, go through the seven years of tribulation. Great carnage is going to be taken. I will bring the one-third through the fire. We'll refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. Uh, they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. There's going to be a great revival. But two-thirds are wiped out. And one-third remains. But there's still going to be a great revival. And yet there's going to be those that are going to refuse the Messiah, which is Christ. I don't understand that. How can you see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega there in Jerusalem sets up his kingdom age and you come and you worship him and you don't accept him as Lord and Savior? Let's get into our text now. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14, the day of the Lord, the end of the great tribulation. First three verses are prophetic. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. And so all the nations will be gathered together uh, by the Lord against Jerusalem. Listen, God allows this. They will take the city. They will plunder it. They will lead, a, lead away half of its inhabitants into captivity. God allows this. So many times we want to judge people. Let God judge people. God is a righteous judge, and he gives us every opportunity. Look at verse 2 now. For I will gather all the nations. This speaks of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I will gather them to battle against Jerusalem. The Lord does it. The city shall be taken. The houses shall be rifled, and the women shall be ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. And I have to love this. There's always a remnant of God's people, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The remnant. When you go back into the Old Testament and you study, God always has a remnant of people. God has a remnant of people now. But what is going to happen when the great harpazo, the great rapture of the church takes place? What's going to be left in the United States of America? Interesting. There's really no mention of the United States of America in end-time prophecies. The best that people come to the conclusion that we're considered the young lions, a part that's come out of, you know, the United Kingdom. And if we are the young lions, we say nothing. Read the book of Ezekiel. Is it because there's no more power? Is it because we've been diminished? We're no longer the powerhouse and that we used to be? Could it be that the church that is harpazled, now the United States is crippled? There's a lot of factors that go into this. But what's going to happen? I want you to mark this down. I'm going to read it to you. A prophecy in Joel in chapter 3, uh, verse 2. It's fulfilled right here in verse 2 of Zechariah 14. I will also gather all the nations and bring them down through the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there 
uh, on account of my people by heritage. My heritage is Israel. Israel. This is the apple of God's eye. My heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have also divided up my land. What are we hearing from our government today? We want to create a new state within Israel. It's not yours to create. We want to divide Jerusalem. It's not yours to divide. It belongs to the Lord. The promise that was given to Abraham, this is yours, Abraham. This is yours. Are we ignoring God? Very dangerous place to be. This is what we're hearing today. Look at verse 3 now. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. First God allows it, and then he's going to fight for the nation of Israel. I will fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. The Lord will take charge of his people. He will appear, and we're going to study that as we continue, on, upon the Mount of Olives and split this mountain in two, prepare a safe way for the rescue of those that remain, and then come with all of his saints. Church, I believe that Jesus is already ready with his saints, but there has to be the rapture of the church, and there has to be... Uh, Seven years of tribulation. Look at verse 4. We're going to get more into it. And in that day, speaking of what's going to take place on the Mount of Olives, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two, listen to this, from east to west, making a, a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. This is at the end of the seven years of tribulation. This speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, listen, in bodily form to the earth. He sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. At this time, a great split will cut the Mount of Olives in two. The persecuted people of Jerusalem will flee through the valley made by the split. But we're also going to read that he's going to restore the great sea. There's going to be restoration of the Dead Sea, and it's also the restoration of the Mediterranean. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Bob. The Mediterranean is already there, but there's going to be a lot of carnage and a lot of destruction, a lot of poisons and such. God will restore the two seas. Now, it's interesting in Revelation 19.14, the armies from heaven, which is the church, will return with Jesus Christ. We will be in our new bodies. We will come in victory, marching in, in white horses. Will we partake of the battle? No, the battle's already won. But we come in victory with Christ. Look at verse 5 now. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azia. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake. Listen to this. In the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. 
Now, it's interesting. Verse 5 here speaks about this great earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. There is no historical record of such an earthquake. Yet we understand uh, the time of Uzziah. Go back and study Isaiah chapter 6. But I want you to listen to the prophecy in Amos chapter 1. In Amos chapter 1 gives us this prophecy. It gives us this prophecy that an earthquake took place in the time of Uzziah the king. Just because it's not recorded in our historical recordings doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Interesting, in Matthew 24, verse 7, Jesus spoke of wars, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. Those of you from Southern California, like my wife and I, that's all people talk about. The big one, the big one, when's it coming? We have two daughters that still live in, in Southern California. The other two are up in Albuquerque. And we've asked, we've told them, anytime you want to come home, come home. And they joke. One of our daughters says, well, Dad, when the earthquake comes, we'll come back home. I go, hmm, let's hope that before you come in to Arizona, there's not a great chasm. Let's hope. Hey, maybe I told them the real Grand will become the new Malibu. I don't know. There's a lot of changes that are going to take place. There's always the talk that California is going to fall off. I'm not predicting anything. Will you be able to cross from California to Arizona to New Mexico? I don't know. But I tell you what, things are lining up. Look at verse 6 now. We're going to get more into it. It shall come to pass, and, and we've been reiterating this phrase, in that day, that's called the day of the Lord, or the conclusion of the seven years of tribulation. There will be no light. The lights will diminish. Now, verses 6 and 7, we're going to read that. And you say, well, what are they talking about? How can this be? Uh, God is the creator of all things. God can do all things. Here in verse 6, how can we explain this other than God can, will, can and will bring it to pass? I don't understand it myself. I don't understand no lights in verse 6. Then in verse 7, we read another account that's known to the Lord. You say, Pastor Bob, how's this going to happen? Well, there's another account that's already happened. And people struggle with it. Uh, in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, there's a great battle with the Amorites. And Joshua has to continue that battle for the whole day. God holds back the sun. Listen to the passage, Joshua 10, 13. So the sun stood still. The moon stopped until the people had revenge upon their enemies, the Amorites. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for a full day. God did this for Joshua. And they were victorious over the Amorites, a 24-hour span. And so we're concerned about the time of Zechariah. Scientists have a field day with it. Try to explain it all off. Why can't we just say, look what the Word of God has to say? 
Time of Joshua, it stopped. Time of Zechariah, there will be no light. Further explanation on verse 6. Look at verse 7. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. Radical statement. Again, I give you passages from Joshua uh, that happen at one time past. What does it doesn't it offend us or does it offend us? Could it happen again? Could it another version of it? Light, darkness? God can do what he wants. I want you to listen to this beautiful passage here. John Wycliffe, in his commentary on verses 6 and 7, he says, The day of Christ's return will be unusual from the angle of the phenomena of nature. The day will be darkened, and the evening, when darkness should settle down, will see light, the light of the radiant presence of Jesus Christ. Radical. Radical. Uh, let me give you another passage. I'm going to read it to you. In Joel chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16. Because how's this going to happen? Obviously, God does it. In Joel 3, 14... At the valley of decision, the sun and the moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish. They'll diminish in their brightness. And then verse 16, listen to this. The Lord will roar from Zion. His voice will be, will be uttered from Jerusalem. You say, how can this be, Pastor Bob? He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. Then we're going to see at the end, he's going to be teaching us in the time of the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Why is it so hard for us to believe? When in the time of Joshua, he held back the whole day. Look at verse 8 now. And in that day, again, making back reference to that final day of the conclusion of the seven years of tribulation. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. It splits in two. Half of them toward the eastern sea, and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter, it shall occur. Now, what we studied last week, the fountain of salvation will come to Israel. That's living water. It will flow as we spoke of last week. Remember the passage we gave you in John chapter 4? The Samaritan woman would go at a certain time to gather from Jacob's well. Jesus met her at the well, and basically he tells her, he who drinks of that water shall thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have, he's talking about living water. He's talking about salvation. You will never thirst again. And she still didn't get it. Give me some of that water. Jesus went out of his way to meet the Samaritan woman. If you know anything about the Samaritans and the Jews, there was a hatred towards each other. In fact, even the Samaritan woman says, don't you know who I am? She comes to saving grace. And so this living water is going to produce again for Israel at this time. Now, that's eternal life. 
And then the physical water, the physical water will be for the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Listen to this. It'll be made fresh again. It's going to be water for the summer and the winter. The prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 47 clarifies this. Clarifies this. Go back and read these things. Look at verse 9 now. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. It shall be. It shall be that the Lord is one. It shall be that his name is one. Israel has been moving to that day for the last 2,000 years. Interesting. We know that they did not return to Israel until the late 1800s, the early 1900s. It's called the Zionist movement. The Spirit of God fell upon the Jews. They began to trickle in from the four corners of the world. And we know that on May 14, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. Unheard of. Israel has been a nation for 67 years. The United States of America had her hand on that declaration. And yet now we're trying to take it away. Listen, God has blessed Israel. Ezekiel 36 and 37 are complete. They're done. They're in the books. The dry bones have come back to life. And not only have the Jews returned to uh, Israel, but the land has been restored. The land has blossomed, according to Ezekiel chapter 37. We are waiting, anticipating Ezekiel 38 and 39, and Jesus will set up himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. When he lands on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split in two. How is it ever possible until our technology comes in? Because Revelation, listen, chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says every eye shall see him. That was not humanly possible. And yet God was going to do what he was going to do. But today, anything happens in the Middle East. We have it. We have it firsthand. And so every eye shall see him. They will know. They will see the waters split. They will see the uh, Mount of Olives split and the waters come. They'll see the life come back into the Mediterranean. They'll see the life come back into the Dead Sea. Today, you go to the Dead Sea, those of you that are gone, no matter how much you try, you cannot sink. You just sit there. There's too much salt, and nothing can live there. They say the salt water there and the mud, is, it's just so good for you. But don't get it in your eyes. You have little cuts. It'll heal them, but boy, does it burn. That's a whole other issue. You can go with us next year. Look at verse 10 now. All the land, all the land. Remember the promise that was given to Abraham. All the land shall be re, uh, turned into a plain from Giba uh, to Rimnon. He says, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from uh, Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel uh, to the king's wine presses. 
Now, I don't understand all the other gates, how it's going to happen, but listen to this. Gibba is north to Rimnon to the south. This shall be turned into the plains of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, remember, the apple of God's eye will be raised up to what God intended uh, for her to be to Israel. Israel will get back what rightfully belongs to her and the promise that was given uh, to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abraham, I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your country. And I want to send you to the promised land. Abraham had no idea. When you go to Israel today, they take you to the land of Cana. And there's a gate, supposedly. Uh, the ambience is there. It gets a hold of you. And where Abraham crossed in to the land of Canaan. And then we know Moses also went into the he, would, he did not go into the promised land. He got to see the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb and that next generation went into the promised land. But they did not conquer everything that belonged uh, to Israel. The day is coming that it's going to return to Israel. Remember the promise that God gave Abraham? Abraham, I will bless those that bless you. But I will curse those that curse you. We need to pray for our United States of America. We are turning our back on Israel. We're going to have to answer for that. We're going to have to answer for all the millions of aborted children. We're going to have to answer for the same-sex marriage. You do not change God's laws just to be politically correct. And it's not going to get better in our United States of America. It's going to get tougher. It's going to get tougher. This woman that refused to give out the certificates, they put her in jail. What are they going to do to the pastors? What are they going to do when they tell me, Pastor Bob, you can't preach like that anymore? I said, go talk to Pastor Jay. <laughs> Look at verse 11 now. The people shall dwell in it. Speaking about the plains of Jerusalem. The people shall dwell in it. And no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. After the tribulation, the blessings are going to come. You've heard this verse quoted. Psalm 122, verse 6. The psalmist says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I pray for the peace of Jerusalem every day. I pray for the, uh, the nation of Israel every day. I pray. I pray for the Jews every day. And yet, I'll have to admit, when I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I say, Lord, but there is no peace. But that day will come. That day will come. Look at verse 12 now. And this shall be the plague. Listen to what's going to happen at the, at the end times, the last days. The plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Listen to the carnage here. Their flesh shall be dissolved while they stand in their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues will dissolve in their mouth. What type of plague is this? The nuclear capabilities that we have today. Google Neutron bomb and see what the effects of the neutron bomb are. Uh, they're made, the neutron bomb is made to destroy man, but not the vegetation and not the buildings. 
And we're going to see also the animal life is going to be destroyed. Look at verse 13. We continue. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Civil war is going to break out. Civil war is going to break out. Uh, there's going to be those that are believers and those that are still non-believers. During the conclusion of the seven years of tribulation, there'll be non-believers during the millennial reign. Doesn't make sense. I want you to write this down because some of us have experienced even division in our own households. Jesus warned in Luke 12, verses 49 through 53. He says, I come not to bring peace, but I come to divide. He's come to divide father against son, son against father. They're going to turn each other in. In the time of the Middle East, crisis at the end, there'll be civil war. There'll still be those that are not going to come to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together. Listen to the blessings that are going to return. Gold and silver. And apparel in great abundance. God is going to bless Israel. When victories are taken in the Old Testament, uh, you take the victory in the spoils also. Verse 15, such also uh, shall be the plague on horses, mules, on the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in, in those camps. So shall uh, this plague be. The neutron bomb will take care of that. And listen, you see some of these animals. When you go to Israel, you see them. You see people on donkeys. You see people on camels. Yes, it's a very modern city, but I'm talking about the outskirts. I was floored the first time I seen, you know, this. I don't know if he was Arab or, or Jew, but he was on his camel. He's smoking a cigarette. He's drinking his little cup of coffee. And he's got a little parasol for the sun because it's hot. His wife about 20 paces behind her. She's carrying the bundle of wood. I go, I don't think my wife would like that. <laughs> this is still today in the Middle East. Nothing new. Notice in, uh, in verse 16 now, we're going to come to the conclusion. The nations will worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which is Jesus, those that survive that day. Remember, two-thirds are annihilated already. One-third remains. Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem uh, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep, very important here, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. The prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 2, in the last days. It shall come to pass, Isaiah said, in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord, uh, the Lord's house, uh, shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. People will come to hear from Jesus during the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Now, very important here, I'm going to give you three 
feast days, major feast days of Israel. The first feast day is the feast of Passover. Listen to me. Passover has been complete. Jesus is the complete Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He accomplished that at the cross. Secondly is Pentecost. Pentecost was complete in the book of Acts in chapter 2, fulfilling the prophecies of Joel chapter 2. There's one more major feast day. It hasn't been completed, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's been completed to a certain extent, but it's not going to be complete until the end. And it's called the ingathering. The ingathering. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. That's why I detest replacement theology. We cannot replace Israel with, with, with the Gentiles. We're the grafted-in branch. We don't replace Israel. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Look at verse 17. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come to Jerusalem, this is during the 1,000-year reign, uh, to worship the king, uh, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. Because of their disobedience, drought will come. How can you not worship the king? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, after the 1,000-year reign of Christ, Satan will be released for a season, and he will tempt the nations. And they're going to follow him some. Notice verse 18. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which... Uh, with which uh, the Lord strikes the nation who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It's going to be law. You have to. Now, the born-again Christian during the time uh, of the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign, we'll be there. We want to be there. We'll be kings and priests in the millennium to come, the Bible says. Holiness will return to Israel. And that's the conclusion here. Look at verse 20 and 21. He says, in that day, holiness to the Lord. I love that it's in capitalizations. Holiness to the Lord shall be engraved in the bowels of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall like the bowls before the altar. Restoration of the holiness of God, the utensils, the instruments, uh, that are part of the temple. Yes, every pot, verse 21, in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness uh, to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite. Very important here. Canaanites were the merchants of the land. There will be no Canaanite uh, in the house of the Lord of hosts. In other words, the holiness of the Lord will be restored. The worship will be holy. No merchandising. No offerings are going to be taken. Pure worship of the Lord. The Canaanites were the Old Testament uh, trade merchants. I want you to recall this teaching. In the Gospel of John chapter 2, Jesus came in to the temple. And he was very angry with the money changers. 
During the time of the major feast days, the prices of the doves, the goats, and the sheep, and even the bulls would go up. And so Mary would come in, and she'd bring in her turtle dove, and then I would inspect it as a priest, and then I would say, Mary, there's a, a little spot in the beak. Your, your, your dove is no good, but you can buy my dove 25% more. What did Jesus do? He overturned the money changers. He, he took a, a, a cord and, and he beat on the money changers' tables. Go back and study that. They did not stop him. They did not stop him. You have turned my father's house, listen, a house of prayer into a house of merchandise. God is going to restore holiness. I want you to read this when you get home. In Exodus chapter 36, verses 2 through 7. The task was given to Moses to build the tabernacle. I want you to get a spirit-filled craftsman. And I want you to give them uh, the specifications. And they will build the tabernacle of God. And the people, when they left Egypt... The Egyptians blessed them with gold, silver, and tapestry, and they gave uh, as a temple, or uh, the temple was going to, not the temple, what am I thinking of? The tabernacle. See what happens when you get old, Ralph? When Moses was receiving the offerings for the tabernacle, the people gave. The people gave in abundance. Verse 6, it says of, of Exodus that we're reading, So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed uh, throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman uh, do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained, listen, from bringing. For the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, there was too much. I don't hear the televangelist today on TV, and I don't hear the radio preachers on, on radio. Don't send anything to this ministry. We have too much. In fact, they constantly are badgering you. If you listen to our radio program, we have a 30-minute spot, and we proclaim the gospel 28 minutes. One minute of introduction, or one minute of outroduction. And we don't ask for money. If the day we ask for money, then we'll shut it down. You, as you give, we, you provide for the radio program. Not only here, but El Paso and also San Angelo. We should never pay for the gospel. I cringe when they give you a 15-minute sermon on the radio, and then the next 10 minutes is give. I want to sell you this. I want to sell you that. I, I listen to the teachings because I like them. Then I'll turn it off. Moses said, you've given too much. Moses said, you've given too much. Holiness will be restored in Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14. The guys are going to make packages if you missed them. So you have all three teachings. Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful. We are humbled, Lord, that you're, 
you've got the plan of life. It's all set before us. You're not finished with the nation of Israel. You're not finished with us, Lord. And Father, I believe things are going to get tougher and harder in our United States of America. And we're truly going to find out who is a Christian and who is not. We're seeing it in the Middle East right now, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you would just pour out your spirit. If there's anybody here this morning and still has not made a commitment to Christ, remind them, Lord, today is the day of their salvation. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.